This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe was a radio series featuring Raymond Chandler's private eye, Philip Marlowe. It was a more hard-boiled program than many of the other private detective shows of the time, containing few quips or quaint characters. The program first aired in June of 1947 on NBC under the title The New Adventures of Philip Marlowe, with Van Heflin playing Marlowe. The show was a summer replacement for Bob Hope, in 1948, the series moved to CBS, where it was called The Adventure of Philip Marlowe, with Gerald Moore playing Marlowe. And by 1949, it had the largest audience in radio. From the 7th of July at 51 to September 1951, the program was a summer replacement for Hopalong Cassidy. Moore played Marlowe in all but one of the CBS shows. The episode, The Birds on the Wing, aired in uh, 1949, especially notable for its beginning and ending, both uncharacteristically breaking the fourth wall. It opens with Marlowe saying he is currently reading Chandler's latest, The Little Sister. Thus, a fictional character claims to be reading an actual book in which he is the main character. Even more surreal was the ending in which Marlowe returns to his apartment to find Gracie Allen, who asks Marlowe to find her husband, George Burns, a radio show on which he can sing. I'll have to see if we can locate that particular episode. Despite the program's popularity, it had no sponsor for most of the time on the air. The lone exceptions were when Ford Motor Company and subsequently Wrigley's Gum sponsored it during part of 1950. Initially, Chandler had considered asking for script approval for the Marlowe radio series, but ultimately decided to have no connection with the scripting of the program whatsoever. He contented himself with the weekly royalties he received for the use of his character while professing himself, quote, Moderately pleased with Gerald Moore's portrayal of Marlowe. Wow, how would you like that ringing endorsement from your boss? Hmm? Well, okay, on with the show and the episode, Hairpin Turn. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time a fireball too handy with a target pistol led me down a rocky road past a sleazy money grubber to a curly-headed corpse. And it might have gotten worse if I hadn't slowed down at the hairpin turn. It happened like this. 
From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Hairpin Turn. Hey, stop it. Put down that gun and listen to me. Stay back, ugly knock. How do you like that? Well, if you could think just half as straight as you could shoot, I'd have nothing to worry about, but you can't. And it's high time you realize... Oh, there's the house buzzer. Somebody's up at the house, Uncle Enoch. And this is Miles Nidal. Well, all right, I'll answer it. I'm expecting a man from the office. But as soon as I finish with him, you and I are going to have a talk, young lady. Do you understand? I said... Oh, what's the use? Yes? Uh, I'm Philip Marlowe to see Mr. Vanneman, Enoch Vanneman. I, I have an appointment. Oh, come in, Marlowe. I'm Enoch Vanneman. Oh. Glad you're here. Step this way, will you? We'll talk in the study. Okay, Mr. Vanneman. I, uh, why, I thought... Uh, those, uh, those were pistol shots? Yeah, that's, uh, Kay, my niece. Sounds like a squad of Marines. Yeah, you know, she's a champion pistol shot. She's converted one of the garages into a target range. Well, I seem to recall a city ordinance that yeah, says... I that know all be... about that ordinance, Mr. Marlowe. Save your breath. Oh, just like that, huh? Precisely. Mm. Sit down, please. Thanks. Breaking a city ordinance is a perfect example of all the crackpot things that headstrong young fool insists on getting mixed up in. And you want me to get mixed up with the crackpot, huh? Yeah, she has no more sense in her choice of male companions than she does in her hobbies. And she's a very rich girl. Now, look, if this is a bodyguarding assignment, Mr. Vanneman, I now, want to uh, tell Kay you... Kay has been going with a man named Cliff Lace, an unsavory type at least. Professional horse player, I think, and it was quite an affair. Was quite an affair? That's right. She threw Lace over for a new love recently. Fellow I've never met. Mm. She's serious, but refuses to tell me anything about him. So? So Cliff Lace doesn't like the idea because, from his standpoint, a very good thing has slipped through his fingers. Oh. He's going to do something about it, huh? And I don't know. But since about the time they broke up, a man's been snooping around the grounds here, Marlowe. Really? He's about 40, uh, short, greasy-looking. He has a flabby kind of face with fat lips and a large black mole on the right side of his nose. Hey, I may know that character, Mr. Vanneman. I'll have to check to be sure. Marlowe, I want to know who he is and why he's been hanging around here. Also, I want to find out all there is to know about Kay's new man. Mm. Tell me, uh, how old is Kay, Mr. Vanneman? She's 26. That's her picture there. Oh. Oh, yeah. Blonde fireball. <laughs> Look, uh, Mr. Vanneman, if she's 26, maybe her love life is none of your business. It is my business. I'm her guardian, and I'm very fond of her. But she's reckless, stubborn, and erratic. Yeah, well, money's great, but it'll never replace the old-fashioned parent. Well, it's also a big responsibility, you know. No, not firsthand, I don't. It leaves one open to every crooked scheme in the book. Yeah, look, Marlowe, I've written my personal phone number on this card. You can reach me there privately at any time. All right, Mr. Vanneman, I'll see what I can find out. I got in my car and I crossed the two acres of tailored flora the Vanneman's called Front Yard. I could see in back the squat, windowless brick building topped by a skylight that housed the target range. Then a minute later, I drove out through the big Bel Air gate into Sunset Boulevard just as Kay Vanneman streaked past me in a sleek new Nash. I was sure I knew already who the snoopy little man who'd been hanging around was. 
The description of flabby face, fat lips, and mole fit tight on a guy named Mutt Pomeroy, who'd somehow been issued a private detective's license and somehow managed to keep it. He was just about as ethical as a stab in the back. I remembered he had an office in a fire trap on Bronson, so I made that my first stop. Climbed a flight of dark, smelly stairs to a tired door marked Pomeroy Private Investigations. Well, there was no answer, so I tried the door. Somebody beside Mutt had been there ahead of me. Turned the place inside out. It was a shambles. I spent five minutes going over his files, scattered like leaves in November, and was still at it when the door behind me swung shut. Lose something, chum? Hello, Mutt. What's the big idea tearing up my joint, Marlowe? Hey, hey, you know better than that. I wouldn't touch the stuff you keep on file without rubber gloves. <laughs> Real funny. If you didn't do this, then who did? I came in and found it just like this. One of your clients must have gotten a little careless. You're full of them tonight, aren't you? Yeah. What do you want here, Marlowe? I need a little help, Mutt. No kidding. Mm. <laughs> okay, chum, sit down. Glad to help out a brother sleuth any time at all. Now, what's your problem? Why are you so interested in the Vanneman place? Oh, the Vanneman place? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Quite a chunk of real estate they got there. I know. What's the fascination? A little simple investigation for a simple little lady. For purposes of conversation, what'll we call her? Mm. How does Estelle suit you? Estelle? Look, Marlo, you got in free. Take the scraps and be happy. Okay. But as you put it, the Vannemans own quite a chunk of real estate. We might subdivide. You might like to tell me how this Estelle ties in. Yeah? Yeah, I might at that, Chum. She's worried about a guy. And from what I've seen of that jet-propelled blonde named Kay Vanneman, she's got plenty of reason to worry. Guy's name wouldn't be Cliff Lace, would it? Cliff Lace? Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't remember, Marlowe. Okay, Mud. how much is it going to take? Well, now, that's hard to say. I'll have to let you know. You see, I've got an angle on my end, too. My uh, little client swears up and down there's no other woman involved. But, you know, the Estelles are always the last to know. You're beginning to smell, Pomeroy. And just how do you fit, Marlowe? I'm helping a guy worry about a girl. Well, that's real nice. And when your clients worry, the wrinkles make dollar signs, so you're always right, is that it? Thanks for everything. I'll see you around, Mutt. Yeah, but you don't go away mad, chum. Oh, of course not. That's why I'm leaving now. It took a friend at the phone company all of ten minutes to locate Cliff Lace's address for me, which turned out to be a snug bachelor's nest bungalow style at the foot of the Hollywood Hills, numbered 4300 Cherimoya. I parked, started for the front door, and on the way, past an open window where the silhouette of a man at a telephone was cut into neat slices by a Venetian blind. Oh, but you better want but to his voice came through in one piece, yeah. and you couldn't miss it. You see, Estelle, I know almost all about you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got your name earlier tonight from a mutual friend, Mr. Mutt Pomeroy. Yeah. yeah, I think it's about time we got together for a little business conference, huh? Now, right there at the plaza in, say, two hours... Uh, you'll still be registered as Ruth Bridges. Good. Goodbye, Estelle. When he hung up, he moved over to a bottle of Johnny Walker scotch. I waited until he'd helped himself, and then I went to the door. Yeah. My name's Marlowe, Mr. Lace. I'd like to talk to you. What about? Whatever it was you were looking for when you ransacked Mutt Pomeroy's office tonight. Do I come in? 
Yeah. Yeah, of course. Thanks. But I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. We both know that's a lie. Let's forget it and go on from there, huh? Just a minute. You a cop? No. But I'll call him at the drop of a hat. Make it easy on yourself. Shit. What's Mutt Pomeroy to you? Bag of worms. I want to know who he's working for. The fact that you had to break into his place to get information should let you out, so who is it? What makes you think I'd know? Because you found what you were looking for. What's Estelle's last name, Cliff? <laughs> you do get around, don't you, Brad? Yeah, yeah, I do. Only sometimes not fast enough. Look, Buster, why not chance at the door? Somebody's got his finger caught in the buzzer. Yeah, that's right. Jay, I told you I didn't... I stopped by to deliver something, Cliff, an ultimatum. I'm telling you for the last hold time... Hold it, hold it, will you? We're not alone. I don't care what I have to say to you. I'll shout from the rooftops. We're through, washed up. Now get out of my life and stay out. Hey, please. Good evening, Miss Vanneman. I don't know you, Slim, but keep out of this. Donnie, don't... Now you listen. I'm in love with boys Neely, really in love this time. I intend to marry him, and I won't have you... Marry boys Neely? <laughs> oh, don't be ridiculous. Cliff, I'm warning you. Look, you'll get this. You'll never marry boys Neely. It's one thing I'm sure of. I know a lot more about him than you do, darling. Believe me. When the time is just right, you're going to hear from me again, but loud. Why, you filthy. If you try to do anything to hurt Boyce and me, Cliff Lacer, help me, I'll kill you. I mean it. <laughs> Sometimes she's going to throw that temper at me just once too often. Who are you kidding, Lace? Ever see her use a target pistol? Ah, oh, she's too smart to trump her own ace. Don't count on it, mister. No, I'm not worried. Uh, where were we, Marlo? We were looking for some answers, which I just got. <laughs> Good night, Lace. Keep your head down. The way things were breaking, I was sure if I didn't get to the woman named Estelle before Lace did, I wasn't going to get anywhere. So I spent the next hour folded up in a phone booth, running down the list of respectable and semi-so hotels with the word plaza either for or aft. Finally, a flute-voiced night clerk in a mid-Victorian number called the Royce Plaza confessed that they had a Ruth Bridges, which was the name that I'd heard Lace mention. She was registered from Santa Monica, but at the moment out, I was convinced that she was really Estelle, Mutt Pomeroy's client. So I drove over to the hotel, invested five bucks with a night clerk, picked up a newspaper, and waited. Halfway down the sports page, a prim brunette came in who would have been pretty without the overload of nervous strain stamped on her face. As she crossed the deserted lobby, the clerk gave me a nod, so I called her name, caught up with her at the foot of the stairs. You... you called me? Yeah, if you could spare me a minute, Miss Bridges, I'd like to talk to you. What do you want? Well, my name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. A, a, a private detective? Yeah, look, honey, let's move over into the corner. You know, that boy on the desk is going to sprain his neck if we don't. But what do you want with me? Well, suppose we start off with your real name, Estelle. What's the rest of it? Neely, maybe, huh? <gasps> How did you know that? It's taken me all evening to get it. That's the only way it figures. It's right, isn't it? You're married to Boyce Neely? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm Mrs. Boyce Neely, but what business is that of yours? Well, that's what I'm trying to find out. You hired Mutt Pomeroy to check on your husband because you're worried about him, right? Why? Boyce is in trouble. He, well, he's in a jam, that's all. Is it money? No. Boyce does very well. He's in real estate in Santa Monica. Oh, maybe with the law, huh? Yes. Yes, I'm afraid so. He, he's been acting so strange. He, he wouldn't talk to me or anything. I just had to find out what was wrong. I see. Well, look, what's your connection with Cliff Lace? Why, I, 
I don't know any Cliff Lace. Oh, come on, baby. Take it a little easier and try again. Cliff Lace, I know you called him tonight, and he called you. All right. He... He wanted to talk to me about... About boys and... And some girl named Kay Vanneman, but... He's crazy, I know he is. Boyce is not mixed up with another woman he couldn't be. I hope I meet your husband soon, Mrs. Neely. I'd like to punch him in the nose. What do you mean? But Pomeroy was right. The Estelles are always the last to know. Look, do me a favor. Will you go up to your room, go to bed, and get some sleep? You're going to need it. All right. Thank you, Mr. Marlowe. Hmm. Hey, uh, Buster, where's the phone? Oh, right over there, sir. Good book? Mm -hmm. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Chandler's new one, you know. Chandler. Chandler. <laughs> Where have I heard that name before? Hello? Enoch Vanneman. Marlowe, Mr. Vanneman. Kay there? No, she's not, Marlowe. Mm. And listen, I want you to forget whatever else you're doing and find her immediately. Why, what's the matter? She left here about 15 minutes ago in a fury. Where was she going? Well, I don't know for sure. She left shortly after you did tonight. Then she came back about an hour I ago. I know, I know. I ran into her. Well, what happened this time? She got a phone call from Cliff Lace. Something was said about him now being in the driver's seat, whatever that means. She was furious. That's not good, Vanneman. Believe me. Well, it's worse than you think. You've got to stop her. Because when she left here, Marlowe, I'm quite sure she had her target pistol with her. I hung up the phone, ran out to my car, and headed back to Cliff Lace's bungalow on Cheramoya. But Kay had a 15-minute head start, and at that hour, in her frame of mind, the drive-in from Bel Air was a hop, skip, and a jump. The only hope was in Lace himself being smart enough to know that he'd overplayed his hand. The street was deserted when I pulled in and parked down the hill from the place. When I got to the front door and found it unlocked, I eased it open and went in. The living room was dark, but there was a light on in the bedroom, and I started for it. Before I saw the bulk of a figure leaning against the dark side of the frame. Come on in, chum. Make yourself at home. What are you doing here, Mutt? Easy, Marlowe. There's no hurry. Not now, there's not. School's out, chum. Where's Lace? Inside. It was nice, clean, accurate, and exactly dead center. He never knew what hit him. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... For a moment, let's look at the headlines on CBS's Entertainment tomorrow night. First, east is east and west is west. So, Jack Benny, on his way to New York, hasn't yet heard that the subway fare is a dime. Second, Charlie McCarthy, already in New York, rewrites Henry Fonda's tough-talking Navy officer in Mr. Roberts. And third, Andy of Amos and Andy, released from bail, jail, and Abigail, gets into new hot water. Besides these, you'll also find headliners Eve Arden, Red Skelton, Horace Height, and all the other great Sunday night shows on most of these same CBS stations tomorrow night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Hairpin Turn. small, neat hole front and center in his forehead said that Cliff Lace had been shot to death. And everything from jealous motive to target pistol method pointed directly to Cave Vanneman. But that was still a long way from proof, and there was Mutt Pomeroy on hand. The kind who always figured only one way, 
The right of the dollar sign. Now, let's not jump to any dumb conclusions, Marlowe. Like what? Like the look on your kisser that wants to know what I'm doing here. That I can explain. I got Cliff Lace's name from you, and a sawbuck to the right guy gave me a rundown on him. A sort of a character analysis, you might say. So? So I figured he was the guy who frisked my office to find out who I was working for. He must have tagged me out of the Vanderman place, followed me down to my joint, then turned everything inside out until he ran across something that added for him. Something like the name is Tell Neely, maybe? <laughs> you move fast, don't you, Marlowe? Yeah, when there isn't too much crowding. I've got most of it already, Pomeroy, so Spill? Spill? I don't know what you mean, Marlowe. I mean that Estelle Neely hired you to find out why her husband was worried. You came up with an answer, all right. It was called Other Woman. So? Estelle didn't even suspect anything about another woman. And you didn't tell her what you found out because it was Kay Vanneman, a gal with a million bucks, right or wrong. Suppose you're right, Marlowe. What are you getting at? A possibility that you could have done this. Kill Lace? Why? Because Lace was playing the same game that you are, chum, blackmail. Your motive was money and so was his. Plus the fact that he didn't like Kay giving him his walking papers. So when he wouldn't come to terms with me, I killed him, is that it? Yeah, it could be. Can you prove otherwise? <laughs> no, I can't. But other things can, Marlowe. Things, yeah. Like that lipstick-smeared cigarette in the ashtray behind you. It's, it's not my brand. And I don't drop hairpins on the carpet when I kill. Do I go on? Or were you just trying it for size because you hate to think that a gorgeous item like young money bags could be it? <laughs> Right or wrong, Marlowe? You know, leveling with you, Pomeroy, takes the kind of talent that can cash a $7 bill at a bank. Who are you calling, Marlowe? The cops. It's the custom. Wait, wait. Look, don't be a sap. What'll that get you? A killer, maybe. Yeah, and from there on, a pat on the head. A well done from the law. Get smart, chum. Shielding a murderer is a lot healthier for the bank account than nailing one every time. Get your hand off the phone, Pomeroy. Now, Marlowe, listen Get it off! Okay, go on. Louse it up, boy scout. Who knows, maybe some bright day you might even run for Alderman, Marlowe. Without your votes, I'm sure. Homicide, Sergeant Becker. Phil Marlowe, Sarge, is a DOA waiting for you. 4300 Cherimoya, name's Cliff Lace. Occupation questionably was shot. Any idea who did it, Marlowe? Yeah. Poor little rich girl named Kay Vanneman, or her sweetheart, one Mr. Boyce Neely. Who lives in Santa Monica? Yeah. Where's the fit? Was this lace killed, Marlowe? 30, 40 minutes? Why? Neely's clear. We picked him up at his own home better than two hours ago. He's on a pokey now. What'd you get him on? Hit and run a month ago. It's alleged that he knocked an old lady out of a crosswalk and into a hospital without even stopping to watch her bounce. Some anonymous tipster phoned the dope in around six tonight. Said the repaint job on Neely's car would prove it. It did. So that just leaves this venom babe, huh? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, Becker, hey, there's... Come here, Craig, out in the backyard there. It's Kay Vanderman. I'll call you later, Becker. We got company. Get the lights, Pomeroy, and stay down. Don't worry, Marlowe. <clears throat> the driveway alongside the house is the only way out. All right, watch it from the front. I'll go through the kitchen and out the back door. I'll play it close. Check. But remember, Pomeroy, nobody gets trigger happy. Don't worry, chum. Kay! Come on, baby, you're cornered back there. Talk up. Who's that? Philip Marlowe, the guy you saw here with Cliff Lace earlier tonight. I'm also a private detective who's working for your uncle and trying to keep you out of trouble. Now, let's have the target pistol, baby. Come on, throw it in. I can't. I don't have one. Uncle Enoch says different. He told me you left the house with it. I told you I don't have one. All right, come on out. But slowly, hands high, no jokes. 
I always lose my sense of humor right after murder. After? Yeah, yeah. Lace was shot to death. Never mind the carefully arched eyebrows. You're in too deep, honey. You don't think I had anything to do with Cliff Lace getting killed, do you? Oh, no, no. It's all one great big coincidence, huh? Why don't you leave, Miss Vanderman? I... I said, why don't you leave? Well, I... how about it, Mr. Marlowe? Go ahead. I won't try to stop you. If you're guilty, you won't get very far. Well, all right. All right, Pomeroy, what's on your mind? A partnership, chum. Based on what, chum? Based on the fact that I saw you kill Cliff Lace. Fat! You what? Yeah. I saw you standing over the body with a smoking gun. Come on, come on. You don't think you can really make that stick, do you? No, but it would keep you busy explaining for a while, long enough for me to wind up my business. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, Marlowe, what'll it be? You and me as partners doing business with old Enoch Vanneman on behalf of the niece I'm sure he'll want to protect? Or me in business for myself? Well, which? It'll be partners, Pomeroy. <laughs> okay, chum. Let's get inside and clean up. Mm. The lady was kind of careless around the edges. Hey, hey, the split. Hmm? How far does it go? Mm. 50-50. Fair enough? Fair enough. <clears throat> After you, Phil. Now get that cigarette butt and the hairpin on the copper there. Then tell Sergeant Becker that you were jumping the gun about the Vanderman girl because you just found out that she was at home all night. I'll check the rest of it. Okay, Mutt. First the cigarette butt, then the hairpin. Hey. What is it, Marlowe? Watch with the hairpin. Why'd you say... Marlowe, quick, get the light. Someone's out front. Don't shoot it. Maybe the law. In skirts? Look, get in that car over there. It's a babe, and five will get you ten that she answers the name okay. Oh, that jerk's going to be a Lulu to protect. Yeah. Well, we better go in. Hey, the hairpin you dropped into your pocket, Marlowe. What's so special about it? Oh, nothing. It was just a hunch I had. Forget it. Marlowe, I want to see it. Okay. Here. Get a good look! (laughs) Partner... fast 20-minute drive back out to Bel Air and the Vanneman place. All the way, I worried hard that the hunch I was playing was right and that I was going to be too late to do anything about it. When I was there, parked halfway up the pebble driveway out of my car and running toward the fluorescent light and the sound of a woman's voice that filtered through the heavy iron mesh over an air vent in the windowless target range, I slowed to a walk, switched the 45 from pocket to right hand, and then I moved up to where I could both see and hear. Kay Vanneman was huddled in a far corner, her eyes crowded with fear and riveted on the dainty but lethal twenty-two automatic that Cliff Lace's murderer pointed straight at her head. Estelle Neely had her back to me, but with the grill that was designed to stop bullets between us, there was nothing I could do. You've got to listen to me. Please listen before you do anything crazy. I swear, I, I, I never knew that Boyce was married. I'd, I'd never have gone with him if I'd known. You're a liar. No, it's the truth, I tell you. It started like the others, fun and no questions asked, but then... I fell in love, and it never occurred to me that he might have been married. Stop it! I don't want to hear anymore. I've already killed once for boys, the guy I turned into the police for something he did a month ago. You turned your own husband over? I did that so they'd put him away out of your reach. You'd never wait for him. You'd go your own merry, merry way a week after he was in jail. 
Boys would be glad to come back to me after five years of living in a cage like an animal. And he'd never suspect that I was the one who informed. I hired a private detective, Mutt Pombo, and made sure that he knew I never even suspected that Boyce could have anything to do with another woman. Then Boyce would never realize it was you who turned him in, because you had no motive. Mutt Pomeroy would be your witness to that. I killed Cliff Lace because he traced me from Pomeroy, and then found out that I was the one who told the police about Boyce. He would have blackmailed me forever. And I'm not sorry, nor will I be when I kill you. Now sit down, Miss Vanderman. And listen carefully. I couldn't shoot, but I knew that it would be disastrous to yell, but I had to do something in a hurry. I moved up quietly to the door. It was locked. That only left one chance, the skylight on the roof. The building was low, and a lawn chair nearby was all the help I needed. When I was up and over to the skylight, there was glass and no mesh underneath. I still hadn't made it, because from that angle I could see Kay. But only here, Estelle. Oh, now you know just what kind of a woman is going to kid you. But why me? I told you... I don't care what you told me. It was you, young and beautiful, that started all this. All this that's almost over now because the other detective, that Marlowe, knows that I killed Lace. He found a hairpin there. I saw him from the window. I saw him pick up the hairpin, Miss Vanner. No, stay back. The black hairpin that couldn't possibly belong to a blonde like you. The hairpin that said Marlowe knows that I killed Lace. So I'm through and I know it. But before they get me up... My, my hand... It... <laughs> Is she dead? No, just out. Well, fireball, any appropriate wisecracks? Wisecrack? Uh, not for quite a while, Marlowe. I'm too scared. Well, it was the usual hour and a half of questions and answers with client, followed by the same questions and answers with police before I finally closed the door on Enoch Vanneman's marble halls and started down past the manicured shrubbery to where I'd left my car. Outside, the night was cold and clear. As I walked, I looked up at the vastness overhead and wondered... Wondered why I had the kind of job that made me no more than houseboy with gun for a rich guy with a badly spoiled niece. But I stopped wondering when I was at my car and no longer alone. I just wanted to say thanks before you left, Phil. I I would do my best to stay out of trouble from here on out. You know why? No, why? Because I want to be good enough for the right guy who may come along someday. A guy like you, I mean. Oh, Thanks, Phil. I'm very grateful. Yes, well, my job's all right nine times out of ten. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were G.B. Hunter, Jay Novello, Olive Deering, Ralph Moody, Tony Barrett, and Charles Russell. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. (laughs) 
Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It happened in a place called Bay City where I was unwelcome to a fat fry cook with a secret and a dapper gambler who smoked oversized cigarettes. But where to the long arm of the law? I was poisoned. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. It was an American radio comedy series, in fact, one of the most popular and enduring radio series of its time. The title characters were created and portrayed by Jim and Marion Jordan, a real-life husband and wife team that had been working in radio since the 20s. Here's the episode first broadcast in 1940. <laughs> of Chase and Sanborn Coffee bring you Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snurd with Ray Noble and his orchestra, Joan Merrill, yours truly, Jim Amici, and Charlie's special guest, Orson Welles. And now we have a song by that lovely, vivacious, charming personality, none other than... Your obedient servant, Orson Welles. You may applaud if you care to. What is it? That's quite all right, gentlemen. Don't bother to curtsy. Orson Welles. Long time no see. But not long enough. Yeah. Ah, Charles, Charles. It's indeed a great pleasure to meet my old compatriot and worthy opponent of many a battle of wits. Yeah? Yeah. Gee, do you mean that, or, or is this a booby trap? <laughs> yeah, Charles, I really mean it. Well, that's nice, gentlemen. Then we should have a very pleasant reunion this evening. Oh, I'm sorry, Edgar, but I must hurry off to give a very important lecture at the museum tonight. Uh, you give a lecture at the museum? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'll have you know I have brains. I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> no, you're not, no. Charlie, well, let's attend Orson's lecture tonight. Yeah. Yeah, that has possibilities, yeah. Oh, I doubt if you can find me. I'll be on the third floor among the anthropoid apes. Well, wear your hat so we'll know you. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> we have very funny lines here tonight, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, please uh, stick to the script, Orson. Maybe he can't read. Oh, no. Uh, well, I shall prove it. I shall prove it by doing a uh, reading as only Orson Welles could do it. Would you like to hear a soliloquy from Hamlet or a speech from Julius Caesar? I'd like to hear a song from Joe Merrill. Oh, that's nice of you, Charlie. I'll be glad to sing for you. You mean I don't give my reading? Uh, no. Very well. May I say it was nice being among friends, even though they weren't mine? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> And now, Joni, getting back to your song. How many hearts have you broken? Oh, I really haven't kept track. <laughs> Must be hundreds, even thousands. Must add them up sometime. Yeah. How many hearts have you broken? With those great, big, beautiful eyes. Those great, big, beautiful eyes. Breath such beautiful eyes. How many times have you kissed somebody like you kissed me just then? I 
I don't believe you mean it, but baby, kiss me again. How many hearts have you stranded on the dreamy road to romance? Baby, I'll take a chance. I need some lovers. I just can't resist you, even though I'm wise. How many hearts you have broken with those great big beautiful close to Halloween time now. Yes. And uh, I was uh, I was wondering what you were going to do to make my Halloween a happy one. I see. Just wondering how much you were going to do. That's all. I see. Well, of course, Charlie, I do want to do something. Oh, I just knew you'd come through. Yes. Could you give me an inkling? Well, I, yes, yes, I know what I'll do. What? I'll, um, I'll tell you a ghost story. He, a ghost story? Yes. Can you afford it? Oh, yes. <laughs> I say, Edgar, old boy, uh, couldn't you tell us one now? Well, I'd be glad to, Ray. <laughs> yes, I love ghost stories, you know. They frighten me out of my wits. It does me good to get out once in a while. You know? <laughs> May I listen, to? Well, of course, Joni. You know, I'd better hold your hand. You know, you might get scared. Oh, Charlie, I'm not afraid of ghosts. Oh, you know, no. Well, I am, so you better hold mine, then. <laughs> there. You comfy now? Hmm? Comfy, yeah? Oh. Now, first of all, do you folks believe in ghosts? I hardly believe in people. All right. <laughs> well, you believe this one because it's not only a ghost story, but it's an actual experience. Yeah. They all start that way. <laughs> this one is an actual experience. Tell it. Don't sell it. All right. <laughs> You'll find this story very fascinating. Well, hold everything while I put on my fascinator. Yes, all right. <laughs> to begin with, a friend of mine named Joe Franklin bought an old eight-room house in Hoosick Falls, which is a small town in Upper New York. How far is Hoosick Falls? From where? Thank you. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the right answer. No, no. Well, anyway, my friend bought this old eight-room house. Was it a two-story? No, it's a ghost story. All right. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Joan, it was a two-story house. But the upstairs was never used. Why? Because there was a rumor that it was haunted. It was, huh? Yes. It was what? Haunted. Inhabited by ghosts. 
Yes, yeah, sir. Uh, look, uh, didn't Joe Husick know that before he bought the place? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, no, Ray, his name is Joe Franklin, and the house is in Husick Falls. I see. Yes. Well, you want to watch that, eh, Yes, I'm... Careful. You mean... Well, no, right. He's really shot. Yes, yeah, yeah. Did, did Joe Falls know that when Husick was haunted? Oh, not please. The name is Franklin, and the house was in Hoosick Falls. Well, don't get sore. Don't get sore. It was an eight-story, two-room house. No, I mean, no, no. no. <laughs> but you mean it was an eight-house, two-story room? Yeah, yeah. no, no. <laughs> Sounds very unlikely. Yeah. Anybody live in it? Well, of course. Hoosick lived downstairs. <laughs> now, wait And raised goats upstairs. <laughs> I got well, wait a minute. Who lived in what? Mr. Poughkeepsie lived in Schenectady. Oh, now stop it, Charlie. Now, if you don't want to hear the story, say so. So? No. no. <laughs> oh, now, come on, chaps. Huh? Oh, now, come on, fellas. I mean, uh, Edgar, tell us the rest of the story. Now, uh, now, now, wait a minute. Let's get this clear. Uh, what is your friend's name? Oh, let's forget he's my friend. Right. Yes. Oh, forgetting friends. That's fine. Huh? Too good for him. No, no, I'm not too good for him, and I'm not forgetting friends. You're not? No. Isn't so, Becky? Isn't so? No, no. I shall proceed. I was the first person brave enough to enter this house and spend the night in the upstairs bedroom. Stout fella. Stout fella. <laughs> the man has good job. <laughs> Gumption. <laughs> Fooled you, didn't I? Yes, yes, yes. Boldly, I walked up the stairs, and bravely, I entered the room. And then you fainted. No, I didn't. <laughs> At the stroke of midnight, I heard peculiar noises, as if someone were tapping on the walls. And I heard footsteps. Footsteps on the ceiling. Where? Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. huh? No, no, no. <laughs> First, I thought the noise was a ghost. And then I thought it wasn't. And then I thought it was. But this is no time for shilly-shallying, either. It was or it wasn't. Let's face it. Then all of a sudden, a white figure seemed to be moving around the room. Moving around without a head. I say, you know, that's quite a coincidence, old boy. Yeah. It really is. Yes, the other day, you know, there was something running around my room without any legs. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was it? Water, old boy. Water. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that settles it. Settles what? Well, I'm not going to finish the story. Why? I am not going to make a fool of myself. Oh, I don't know about that. Yes. You're right. I have made a fool of myself. Oh, come now, Bergen. You're so sensitive. And so right. <laughs> Oh, Jim, Ray. Uh, yes, Edgar. Yeah, I want you to both keep Tuesday night open. I've decided to give Charlie a Halloween party and surprise him. Why, certainly, Edgar. I'll be glad to come. Yes, me too. I say it sounds awfully jolly. Are we going to play games? Yes, yes, and I also want you to wear costumes. Oh, fine, fine. I'll wear my dark brown suit, put a lump of sugar behind each ear, pour cream on my head, and come as a cup of Chase and Sanborn coffee. No, no. <laughs> and I'm going to put a candle in my mouth and come as a, as, as a Johnny lamp. Yeah. 
A Johnny Lantern. Yeah, Johnny Lantern, yeah. No, yeah. no. You, oh, you mean a Jack-o'-lantern. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, you see, that way, that way, I can be lit all evening. Yes, you can. Yes. You get it, don't you? I mean, about the lantern no. being lit. Yes. yes. Well, you don't have to go any farther. <laughs> no. Uh, who else is coming, Edgar? Well, I've invited everybody. Joan Merrill and... Uh, oh, I almost forgot. Where's Mortimer? Mortimer! Mortimer! <laughs> Help, help. Is you, is or is you ain't my bargain. All right. <laughs> well, Mortimer. Well, that's me. Yes. Say, I want to tell you. Oh, quite. Now, sure, sure. <laughs> Mortimer, hmm? I'm giving a party. Well, that's nice. That's nice. Yes. Who's it for? Hmm? It's Halloween. Hmm? For Halloween. Well, I don't believe I know him. No. <laughs> it's a Halloween party. Oh, I see what you mean now. Yes, and you're invited. Hmm. That's nice, ain't it? Well, of course it is. Do, do you want me? Do you want me to? Uh, uh, do you want me to wear a wear a a, a false face? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, no. I don't think you'll need one. No. <laughs> You're just flattering me. No, I'm not. <laughs> then we shall expect you. I, I, uh, mm? I, um, I say, then we'll expect you. Expect me to what? Uh, well, uh, to be at the party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'll, I'll be there if I can get the time off from, from the job. You see, I've got a job. You have a job? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, so it goes on. How do you do? What kind of work are you doing? Hmm? I say, what kind of work are you doing? Well, I've been, uh, I've been, uh, uh, I go to work, uh, I see, uh, what was the question? Well, was the question? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of work are you doing? Well, uh, what do you, what do you call a fellow, what do you call a fellow that, uh, washes a window? That washes a window? Yeah, uh, you call him, um, see, uh, a window washer? Well, is that what you do? Yep, that's what I do. Well, hanging on the outside of those buildings doesn't seem like a very good job. Well, well, it keeps me off the streets. Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Marjorie, how long does it take you to wash a window? I, um... I say, how long does it take you to wash a window? Well, there's, um... That, of course, depends on. Yeah. On what? Well, on the, what's going on inside the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you get paid by the window? I, mm, I say, do you get paid by the window? No, no, no. You get paid by the boss. By the boss, yeah. <laughs> Mortimer, how can you be so stupid? Well, I get plenty of sleep and good exercise. I'm <laughs> Sweet and lovely. Sweet and lovely. 
send him my way. Well, you know, you know, fellas, this should be interesting. I, I hope it's free. Right this way, right this way, gentlemen. Buy your tickets here. Buy your oh, tickets you here. Oh, you got to buy tickets, right right Ray, you and Charlie go ahead. I, I got a stone in my shoe. Oh, come on, Bergen. He always pulls that near a box office. <laughs> I say, uh, how much are they? Twenty-five cents. Children, ten cents. Babes in arms, free. Uh, no, you don't, Bergen. Put me down. All right, all right. Put me down. That'll be sixty cents, bud. Yeah, but yes, uh, sixty cents. Yes, uh, but 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 my name is Edgar Bergen. Sorry, but all people have names. Yeah. All right, here's your money. Here's your, here's your tickets. Thanks, suckers. <laughs> uh, I'm certainly going to report. That's smart, Alec. Hey, you are, folks. Get your programs. You can't tell a chattering baboon from your mother-in-law without a program. <laughs> Why, Orson? I thought you were giving a lecture here. What are you doing with that guide coat on? Well, it's rather cold in here. I see. <laughs> that explanation ain't so hot either. <laughs> Don't tell me, Orson, that you're just a guide. 
Well, certainly, I'll do anything to further the cause of education and also to pick up an extra buck. <laughs> well, I have a complaint to make. After we paid our admission, the ticket seller called us suckers. There's no admission charge here. There isn't? No, sucker, uh, sir. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, here's a ticket right here. It says good for one admission to the New York World's Fair. Oh, no, look. No, fellas, look. We came to hear a lecture. So, uh... Get on with it, my good man. <laughs> Very well. Gentlemen, right over here is the first exhibit. It starts with the evolution of man. It was over 80 million years ago that Lobar Molossus, or the lungfish, first crawled out of the deep, abysmal swamp, reeking with a dank, sultry smell of fetid vegetation. What do you suppose it did? Held its nose? No. <laughs> No, it continued to adapt itself to its new environment so that upon that supposition we believe that man is a descendant of the fish. <laughs> Are you descended from a fish, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, I must confess that in the spring I, I do have a mad desire to swim upstream. <laughs> you know... <laughs> We have the Mastanoni, uh, the Triceratops, and the Monoclonias. Leaving on track, too. And in this group are the Tyrannosaurs, the Brontosaurs, and the Dinosaurs. And a Whiskey Sour. Make it two. Please, please, quiet. Are there any questions? When did they live? Well, they were here as recently as 15 million years ago. Hmm. Oh, it's a shame. We just missed them. I say, uh, uh, was this uh, uh, this fossil uh, a man-killing beast? No, this was a docile fossil. Yes. Uh, and stop feeding it peanuts. Can't you see it's only a skeleton? I know, old chap. I was only feeding him the shells. <laughs> well, in that case. Now, let's all get back to the Miocene age. Uh, you go. I'll wait here. Mm -hmm. This period goes way back when old faithful Geyser was just a little squirt. Or even before the Dead Sea took sick. <laughs> Isn't that keen? <laughs> I made that up myself. Yeah. Well, I did. Yeah. Orson, you're forcing. Yeah. <laughs> let, let's see now, where was I? Yeah. Uh, there's something interesting, something yeah. very interesting. Oh, yes, I was talking about myself. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any questions? How can we get our money back? <laughs> If you step a little closer, we want to keep the sidewalk clear. I'd like to give you a scientific demonstration of the little marble potato peeler. No, oh, no I'm sorry, sorry. That's, that's another lecture I have. It's quite a different subject. No, Say, not... what is that skeleton? Uh, well, it's the duck-billed dinosaur or trachodon. Well, make up your mind. Which one is it? Well, it's one and the same. Oh. You know, there are some people who actually don't know the difference between a stegosaurus from a brontosaurus. Oh, Heavens, let's have nothing to do with them. <laughs> Are there any questions? Yes. Where can we get another guide? Quiet. A good point. Now, over here we have the Hall of Living Mammals. Well, where are the pebbles? Home with the kittles. So. Oh. Shut up. Yes. Now we come to the Paleontholic exhibit. Here's the Neanderthal or Homo Neanderthalensis. Yes. <laughs> they hardly got in, did they? <laughs> what does that mean? Are uh, the Homer Neanderthalensis? Yes, sir. Yes. 
Well, darned if I know, but doesn't it sound impressive? Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, according to the genealogist, there was the trineal man, or mm. pithecanthropus, followed yeah. by the piltdown man, or aoanthropus ventriloquus bergoni. Yeah. Would you mind dragging that past again in low gear? <laughs> Quiet, please. You're so noisy, I can't hear what I'm saying. You're not missing a thing. <laughs> now, in this case here, we have the perfect example of the pre-Neanderthal man, or missing link. Yeah, but, Professor... Notice the expressionless eyes, the receding forehead, and the flat cranium. Yes, but, Professor... It's the most illiterate face I ever looked at. I got a TL for you. You're looking in a mirror. Yeah! <laughs> Well, Edgar, how was your visit to the museum? Well, it was very interesting. We learned all about the Neanderthal man, the Cro-Magnon man, and the Java man. Well, speaking of Java, man, that really starts me on a train of pleasant memories. Of good food, good company, and your own good pleasure at sight of a cup and saucer. The sight of your coffee cup is a promise, too, when there's Chase and Sanborn coffee on hand. The promise of all the coffee satisfaction a cup can possibly hold. So fill it up. Drink up and have another. Enjoy the richer, more flavorful blend that made the second cup famous. Through the past 80 years, Chase and Sanborn flavor has made history become a tradition. And in the past year, more people changed to Chase and Sanborn coffee than to any other kind on the market. That's the biggest swing in coffee history. But even so, it's only half the story. Besides that, in the hotel and restaurant field where coffee simply has to be good... Chase and Sanborn are the leading coffee roasters. You're entitled to all this extra goodness, so make sure that you get it. Ask your grocer for delicious Chase and Sanborn coffee every time. Well, Charlie, after visiting the museum, I suppose you can tell your schoolmates where all the prehistoric monsters came from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's from the prehistoric club. No, 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 no. No, they remember, they, they came from the Ice Age. Yeah. And that was way back when Mother Nature, for thousands of years, wore an ice cap. Oh, she must have had a terrific hangover. Yes. <laughs> and do you realize those dinosaurs we looked at in the museum? Yes. Do you realize that they weighed 30 tons? No. Yes. 30 tons? Yes. Is that strip? Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> again next week when Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Effie Clinker, Orson Welles, Joan Merrill, Ray Noble, and all of us will be on hand. And Charlie will take over tips on models with that famous authority on the subject, Mr. John Powers. This week when you're buying coffee, think of us and ask for Chase and Sanborn coffee. Coffee made to serve in times like these. This is Jim Amici saying goodnight from New York's Radio City. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's a new program on Theater of the Mind, Philo Vance, followed by an old favorite, Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.